There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the internet. Which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high coverage foundation. More popular than soft launching your boyfriend. More popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. Tubi, it's more popular than influencers. See you in there. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Scared to Death is explicit in every way. Please take care while listening. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no home, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. And I am Lindsay. And the best month for Scared to Death all year uh, continues. It does. It's so awkward to just say your name. Do you ever think about that? Like, unless you're like hmm. shaking hands with me, like, hey, I'm Lindsay. Otherwise, I'm like, hey, <laughs> you know who I am because you're here. But they don't for new listeners. That's what I think about. I know. It's just, it just feels funny to me. I, well, I, I didn't think of it. I remember on Time Suck, I didn't do it. I didn't introduce myself for like the first 20 uh, or 30 episodes, I don't think. Yeah. And then uh, a fan in Cleveland who started listening to the show early. I was doing shows of hilarities and she was like, she goes, hey, introduce yourself. Oh. And I was like, what? And she's like, when you start the show, say who you are. And I was like, oh, but it, so it did not occur like organically for me. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> uh, try to pick some extra creepy tales for this October episode hmm. for the rest of this month. And hmm. uh, I'm excited to see what you think of them. They're terrible. <laughs> Less than three weeks to Halloween. <laughs> I just hate them. I sit here. I'm like, not scary. Not scary at all. Less than three weeks to Halloween. Also just over two weeks away from the big Halloween show here. Scared of this live haunted Halloween. True tales of Tahallow's of Hallow's Eve Horror 2 uh, is coming up. Thank you to the hundreds of you who have already gotten tickets for this. Uh, telling several Halloween-themed stories that will never live on the podcast feed or on Patreon. Stories will only be told live Thursday, October 27th, 6 p.m. Pacific time through moment. But you will be able to rewatch the show for seven days following the event, which, which of course, runs right past Halloween night. So you can watch it, rewatch it on Halloween, watch it the next day, whatever you want to do. Uh, looking forward to dressing up, chatting up with many of you, or at least responding to many of your questions from the live comment feed. And you go to badmagicmerch.com for tickets. Big banner at the uh, for the show at the top of the site. You can't miss it. Can't miss it. And there's very cool merch attached to that show. I know. I do love that merch. It's like cool witch lady. Mm -hmm. And we have actually more of that kind in the store now, that same kind of artistic style that Logan's been playing with lately. A bunch of merch. Um, uh, we've added an amazing poster section to the badmagicmerch.com store now. Just keep dropping designs. Uh, I'll keep this uh, section updated as we continue to release each week. 
Um, only wish we had a, a big room we could kind of put all of them in, right? Well, all these cool posters. Well, maybe someday. And maybe, and Logan's thinking maybe about to put them into a book someday. Mm-hmm. You can head on, to bad, head on over to badmagicmerch.com to check out the new posters banner on the homepage and, and also the link to the live show. So we got posters, show, scary stories, all kinds of stuff. Hey, one, I'm really into you right now. You're so cute. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. And um, I just, I love it when you get words wrong or you mm. just, like struggle and you do um, a very specific thing. Like we all have our own little ticks. Mm, like and a little you, movement? You go. Oh yeah. Try to refocus my But you use your head when you do it and it's very adorable. Oh, well, that's good. It's not annoying. You don't annoy me. Oh, that's good. Almost ever. Oh, thank you. Do you have... The new charity information? I do. I do. Let's talk charities. This month, we are donating to what I think is like a really super sweet and uplifting nonprofit. Yeah. Guide Dogs for the Blind. And like, I mean, you guys know we love a fur baby. We love Mm -hmm. our babies so much. They would be terrible guide dogs. But dogs make everything better. Um, So uh, Guide Dogs for the Blind, you can find them at uh, guidedogs.com and their entire mission is be- that they believe in connecting people and dogs and communities in order to transform the lives of individuals with visual impairments. Oh, that's awesome. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. It's so cool. It's a- I remember um, when Monroe was in grade school and they had uh, somebody who worked at the school and he had a seeing eye dog mm-hmm. and watching him interact with the dog as opposed to just like running into somebody in Starbucks. Sure. You know, with the dog that you don't know, it's like I interacted with this person, I knew this person, and he would talk about how it was a total game changer. Wow. And like their sweet little relationship, I loved it. I love. I, I, just, I just love um, how cool it is that there's dogs with jobs. <laughs> yes. You know, and they do them very well. Yes, and, and, and I think and, they and take it quite seriously. Mm-hmm, so important to people's lives. I was thinking about um, Penny and Ginger this morning, our dogs. Uh, Gigi is a much more gentle spirit than Penny is. Oh, Diddy. Penny is, yeah, Diddy. Uh, Penny is very food motivated and and just kind of an aggressive, like if you're if she wants attention. She's very much a poodle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, you, if she wants attention and you're not giving it to her, she will bark at you. She will like make a bunch of crazy movements. She'll smack you with her paws. Like she'll throw a she's, ball at you. Mm-hmm, yeah, toss a little ball with her mouth. Like she's pushy. So funny. But gent and, and with begging, she is very intense and like uh-huh. it will not stop. Uh and we've tried it all. Like Hard I, to reprimand her. Please, please don't write in with your tips and tricks because I <laughs> promise you we have literally tried them all. We don't all. want to break her spirit. You know, it's that thing. But, but she is, yeah, she's a pushy little thing. Gigi's so gentle. The one thing that she will beg for and the only thing is peanut butter. Peanut butter. So if you're doing anything and she knows what drawer it comes out of and she'll just very slowly, meekly walk into the kitchen, sit down very like quietly. Dad, please. Yep. And then just like stare at you and lick her chops. But but even that is gentle. It's just where yep, Penny very slow movements. Penny would be like, <laughs> yeah. Where Gigi's like, Penny would be like p- prancing around. If you could, sir, I sure would like some peanut butter. Oh my god, she's so cute. <laughs> uh, uh, anyways, dogs. So what spooky shit are you bringing to the recording table this week? Whoa, language. <laughs> uh, actually, I'm super pumped about my stories. I mean, I always am, but especially story one. Mm-hmm. Our book editor Drew and his wife sent in a tale Ooh. of their. Haunted house that they lived in in Georgia for a period of time. Love that this is coming from Drew. I know. Uh, me too. Me too. Because he also has his own horror podcast. Mm-hmm. And and what's the name of that? Do you remember? Ugh, oh, no. I so don't. put you on the spot. Way to ruin everything. Ooh, but it, it is listed in, uh, if you have any of the books, it is, you know what, Dan? You have a book right there. I, it's funny that you should mention it because I have <laughs> a book right here. And I feel bad too not having to memorize. No, well, it's impossible to do that because, you know, I'd have to have it written down and... 
I'm gonna get to the right page. <laughs> you know Filling what? Filling blanket. You know I've got it. Oh, it's okay. called The Ghost Modernist. Great. The a Ghost serialized Modernist. horror fiction podcast. Okay, fantastic. We love Drew. He's great. Anyway, so we've got that story about okay. their haunted house. And then I have a story that when the author sent it in, they titled it The Bad Panda Man. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Maybe a haunted stuffed animal? Hmm. Like, it's, it's a pretty good story. Okay. It, it, like, creeped me out quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. I, I like the setup. It comes from the UK, which we don't always have a lot of uh, story submissions from mm-hmm. there. So I like that. So this is the bad panda man. Now now I'm thinking I, I have to, in the middle of the Kung show, panda? reveal, like, behind the curtain a little bit. Uh, Logan, do you, do you already have a name for this episode in advance? Oh, no, that's me. Oh, that's you in, in Simplecast? Yeah. Ah, I was thrown. I'm like, didn't we just... It's funny. I saw that name, and I'm like, I don't remember carrying, covering a story called The Bad Panda Man. I, I almost did the same thing. I almost <laughs> asked you the same question. Dude. I know. I'm like, are you going to tell the same story again? I was like, okay. I did do that once. Or no, one time I forgot to tell a second story. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, Got it. I'm caught up with you now. Talking about pulling the curtain back. Yeah. So after we finish an episode, you have to like upload all this information, mm-hmm. and I am the worst about putting in the episode description. I just am, because usually we do it right before lunch that we record, oh. and then I jet out with you or to mm-hmm. pick up kids or run errands, and I always forget, and then Logan was like, hey, uh, and I'm like, Ugh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They're always waiting on me for it. So I'm really making an effort yeah. to get in front of it and just like preload it. Nice. Because it's not that hard. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, okay, so you have those those stories. And those then, two. Uh, when I was working on throwing my stories together for this week, we were in New Orleans. We sure were. Uh-huh. Uh, so much fun taking Kyler and his buddy Avery to a Saints game, spending time in the French Quarter with you. Oh, my God, those two. Such goofballs. And I was inspired to find another uh, piece of horror lore set in the Big Easy. Okay. So headed to the historic Hotel Monte Leon to go over its supposedly haunted history, talk about some of its ghosts, and then dive into one hell of an unsettling modern encounter tale for the first story. Is that how you say that hotel? Uh, uh, Monte, Le- Monte Leon. M-O-N-T-E-L-O-N-E? L-E-O-N-E. Oh, I have Leon. Okay, I have something else That's how brain. people were saying it in numerous uh, visits. Like, like, I'll find these old, almost like infomercial videos sometimes for pronunciation. Yes, tell us how it goes. And, and it's like, welcome to the historic Hotel Monte Leon, set in the heart of the French Quarter. You know, it's like these yeah. kind of like late 80s, early 90s, like uh, little tourism things. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. That, that's what I did for that one. I was just asking that because I had a different spelling in my brain. I was like, I don't know. I'm thinking of something else. I had uh, Montalone, like Montalone, like mm, M-O-N-T-E-L-O-N-E, all one word. Okay. Yeah. Uh, after that one, uh, we head off to Connecticut to go over the story of a boy plagued by visits from the dead. Hmm, that sounds like fun. Story that made it into the local newspaper in Hartford several different times and became featured on an old episode of Unsolved Mysteries as well, in addition to numerous other articles. Cool. So pretty pretty uh, well documented, I guess, as far as, you know, a lot of people talking about it in uh, legitimate sources. Mm-hmm. Um, while uh, you show off this week's socks, I'll get ready to get creepy. Not only this week's socks, but guys, also, I'm still testing out the nose ring. So <laughs> the septum ring. So this is another one. And I, I did post on Instagram for people to vote. The vote is leaning towards yes, do it. All right. But there are like hundred there are 170 people who said don't do it. <laughs> and there are 365 people that said do it. Okay. Okay. These are my socks. Um very Halloween-y. Whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> okay, decent amount of history to cover before getting into the scares. The reportedly haunted Hotel Monte Leon uh, sits on Royal Street on the western edge of the French Quarter of New Orleans, where it sat for over 130 years. Built in 1886, it now stands after numerous older hotels were torn down long before NOLA's more modern conservation efforts as the oldest hotel in the French Quarter. 
one of the longest continuously operated and owned by the same family hotels in the U.S. Antonio Monteleone arrived in New Orleans from Sicily in 1880, set up a cobbler shop on Royal Street. In 1886, he bought a small hotel on the corner of Royal and Iberville and merged it with the existing commercial hotel. Since then, the Monteleone family has expanded the structure five times. One of the very first hotels in the French Quarter to survive the Depression years, Hotel Monteleone remained virtually unchanged until the fourth expansion in 1954, when the original building was demolished for a new building that contained more guest rooms in addition to ballrooms, dining rooms, and cocktail lounges. In 1964, the fifth and final major expansion added even more guest rooms and a sky terrace with a swimming pool and a cocktail lounge. Hmm. The hotel has over 500 guest rooms, now including over 50 suites. And if you stay there and you're feeling paranormally adventurous, you could request a room on the 14th floor. Oh, boy. Actually, the 13th floor. Uh, legend has it that the floor is home to the ghost of young Maurice Berger, uh, Berger, whose footsteps, laughter, cries, and more have been heard in the halls. And sometimes the young ghost has actually been visually spotted as well, typically accompanied by an extreme drop in temperature. Generations of hotel guests and staff have regularly claimed to experience haunted events that, if true, would cause even the most strident skeptic to take pause. The hotel once had a restaurant door that opened almost every evening and closed again, even when it was locked. An elevator often stopped on the wrong floor, once leading a curious couple down a hallway that grew chilly and revealed the ghostly images of several children playing. Lobby doors are sometimes seen opening and closing as if invisible guests are coming or going from the hotel. In March of 2003, the International Society of Paranormal Research spent several days at Hotel Monteleone, and while there, the team reported making contact with more than a dozen ghosts. Among them were several former employees, a man named William Red Wildemer, who died in the hotel of natural causes, and of course, the spirit of the young child, Maurice Berger. During the late 1800s, the wealthy Berger family stayed at Hotel Monteleone often. Jacques and his wife, Josephine, loved attending the French Opera House on Bourbon Street. But the lengthy operas were no place for their young, restless son, Maurice, age never listed in sources, but based on descriptions, somewhere around three years old. Entrusted in a nanny's care, Maurice rapidly developed a fever one evening while his parents were at the opera. And although he quickly received care, it wasn't enough. When his parents left for the show, he was feeling bit off, but nothing concerning. By the time they returned home just a few hours later after a night of the opera and some drinks, he was dead. <gasps> He'd had a convulsion and died in their room. Oh my God. The grief his parents must have felt upon their return is hard to comprehend. Josephine could not bear to leave her son behind. She and Jacques returned to the hotel year in and year out in the hopes that the spirit of Maurice might visit them. And eventually, after many years, he supposedly did, telling his mother not to cry that he was fine. Ever since, he has continued to make appearances. To this day, guests still report seeing him on the floor where he died. The hotel doesn't list which actual room he died in. He's almost almost uh, he's almost always reported as being a friendly spirit, almost. Or perhaps, or, and perhaps based on what uh, one set of guests claimed, sometimes the apparition of what seems to be a young boy isn't that at all. It's something else masquerading as the spirit of young Maurice Berger. Time now for the tale of terror at the Hotel Monteleon. Antoine and Rodrigo checked into their room on the 14th floor of Hotel Monteleon on a Friday evening. They lived not altogether that far from New Orleans in Biloxi, Mississippi, and drove over when they were both done with their work weeks at just after 7 p.m., walking into the hotel at just after 9. The couple were celebrating their fourth anniversary of dating, which was the following day, and using it as an excuse to do some ghost hunting. 
Love of the paranormal is what really drew both men towards each other the night they met. Both guests at a, of a mutual acquaintance at an October house party with a Halloween costume theme. Antoine had showed up as the Candyman. <laughs> Rodrigo had come dressed as Lorraine Warren. When they got to talking, the subject of paranormal encounters came up and both shared personal experiences. Antoine said he was visited on numerous occasions by what he believed to be the spirit of his late grandfather as a child. And Rodrigo had recurrent nightmares after claiming to spot and even be scratched by a terrifying shadowy entity in a local abandoned house. He and some cousins were exploring after hearing that it was haunted and after hearing that other kids had also witnessed something. While terrified to see something else for pretty much the rest of his childhood, in his young adulthood, Rodrigo had become obsessed with trying to figure out what he'd encountered that day. And eventually, that led to a love of ghost hunting and all sorts of supernatural TV shows, horror movies, occult literature, and more. Antoine's experience, not being scary, left him with an interest in what else may lay beyond the veil in early childhood. And it never left. Neither man doubted the other's claims for a second. And that, plus, of course, mutual physical attraction, suitable temperaments, similar interests, and life goals, seemed to have made the pair a perfect match. But four years into the relationship, neither man, both in their 30s now, had yet to experience anything paranormal since those initial childhood encounters and their interest in the undead and whatever else may wander around in dimensions parallel to ours had waned considerably. They hoped their trip to Hotel Monteleone might rekindle it. They'd gone on a ghost tour in New Orleans before and one in Savannah, Georgia as well, but hadn't seen or felt anything. They'd even messed around with a few friends one night using a Ouija board and nothing. But things, of course, were about to change. After checking into their room and dropping off their bags, the two men did a quick check of the hallways on the 14th floor, wandering around, eyes and ears peeled, hoping to at least walk into a cold spot. But nothing. Maybe it was too early. Too many other guests around. The energy just wasn't right. They didn't explore long, heading downstairs to Criolo for a 10 p.m. dinner reservation and grabbing some tasty traditional Louisiana cuisine and some fun cocktails. Enough to relax and loosen up. Not so much that they'd later wonder if what they might see was just their drunk minds playing tricks on them. Just before midnight, they headed up to their room, scanning all the hallways of the 14th floor again before they did so. Still nothing. Not even creepy vibes. Now they both set alarms for 2.45 a.m., mm. just before the witching hour of 3 a.m. They figured most of the partygoers would be back in their rooms by then, and that between 3 and 4 would be the best time to experience something. Pulling themselves out of bed after basically taking a nap, they threw some clothes back on, and phones in hand and ready to record video at a moment's notice, they quietly proceeded to wander about the halls. As they walked around, they wished that maybe the power would go out. Although it was the middle of the night, the halls were so brightly lit, it was kind of killing the vibe. What helped, though, was the eerie silence. If anyone else was still awake in their rooms, they were either sound asleep or the walls and doors were incredibly soundproofed. They wandered the halls for about a half hour. Nothing. They might have continued to check things out, desperate to see something, but then after undoubtedly being watched on security cameras and someone probably assuming they were out of their minds or high on something, a security guard came up to ask them what they were up to. <laughs> too embarrassed to tell her the truth, that they were two 30-something men waltzing around deserted hallways looking for a ghost, hopefully the ghost of young Maurice Berger, but really they'd be happy with any ghost. Antoine said they, they couldn't find a credit card. Wondered if they'd somehow dropped it somewhere on the floor when they were wandering about, trying to find their room earlier when they checked in. They hadn't had any trouble finding the room, of course, but she didn't know that. And even if she didn't believe this story, the lie still sounded better than trying to explain what they were doing, like they were characters in some episode of Scooby-Doo. <laughs> the security guard did not seem to buy their story, but since they were guests, she didn't really hassle them. Just asked them to return to their rooms. 
They returned to their room more than a little embarrassed. After shutting the door and breaking out into a laughing fit, the absurdity of their reality really hitting them. The couple ended up doing a little kissing, and it looked like that was about to lead to a whole lot more when there was three knocks at the door. Must be the security guard, Rodrigo whispered to Antoine. She must have more questions. Hopefully she just wanted to get some more info to help them find their credit card. Timidly, more embarrassed than ever, he walked over, opened the door to nothing. What the hell? Rodrigo said as he ducked his head into the hallway and looked both ways. He could see over 50 feet in either direction, but he saw no one. Hey, he said to Antoine, who was now headed over to scope out the hallway as well. We did just hear someone knock, right? We sure did, replied Antoine, definitely. He added as he now peeked out as well and saw that no one was out there. Anyone who had been out there, there was no room for them to hide without being heard sprinting down the hall or quickly shutting themselves inside another room. God damn it, said Rodrigo. Now I really want to go exploring, but the security guard's going to be back. And, and now what do we say? I mean, we, we did just hear a knock on our door, though, didn't we? I mean, I think so, Antoine said, shaking his head. But we also just spent a whole bunch of time trying to see a ghost. It's all we've been thinking about. Maybe it was just some random old building hotel noise, and we both just interpreted it as a knock because we so badly want to hear something. Rodrigo didn't think that was the case, but maybe? Damn, it really felt like they were about to experience something big. I guess, he said. I guess we probably should just go to bed. To bed? Antoine showed him, shot him a flirty look as he shut the door. It didn't seem like they were about to go to sleep a few moments ago. Oh yeah, where were we? The couple made their way back to the bed, jumped back into the mood they'd been in, and were starting to take their clothes off when... Three knocks again. And this time, followed by what definitely sounded like a small child's laugh. Antoine and Rodrigo both stopped and stared at each other in amazement, both realizing that the other did, in fact, just hear what they'd heard. Holy shit. Antoine practically shouted in amazement as both men raced to the door, thankful they still had at least boxers on. Flinging the door open, they both peered out of the hallway, and Rodrigo just caught a glimpse of what looked like a small boy racing around a distant corner. I saw him, he exclaimed, Antoine flipping his head around to look, but just not quite in time. Damn it. We should race down there. No, sternly voiced Rodrigo, pulling Antoine back in and shutting the door. Are you crazy? We're almost naked. We've already talked to the security guard who now has possibly seen us pop our heads out into the hall and look around like crazy people, like almost naked crazy people. She catches us running around the halls looking for a ghost in our underwear. We are getting tossed out of this hotel. Antoine started to protest, but then burst out laughing. Yeah, you're right. This is not a good look. But we have to. Laughter again from what sounded like right outside the door. Antoine quickly cracked open, heard footsteps, poked out his head to follow the sound. Rodrigo quickly behind him doing the same, and they both now clearly saw a little boy, maybe three or four, dressed in old clothing, racing down the hall the same direction as before. Holy fucking shit, said Rodrigo, Antoine quickly adding, Maurice Berger. Rodrigo loudly called down the hall before the apparition turned the corner. We want to talk to you, Maurice. And then realizing how many people might have just woken up, he and Antoine backed into the room quickly shut the door. She is definitely coming back to talk to us. I know, but that was fucking amazing. The couple stared at each other wide-eyed, not in terror, but overjoyed. We did it. We actually saw something together. Put your clothes back on in case it comes back. Fuck that security guard. We are following it if it happens again. It'll be worth getting kicked out. The men had barely gotten dressed when, sure enough, it did happen again. Three more knocks. And again, the knocking accompanied by some giggling and the sound of footsteps running back down the hall. The two men now popped out in the hallway, quietly shutting the door behind them, and then speed walking towards where they again saw the same apparition turn the same corner, as if it were stuck in some sort of loop and just constantly being replayed. They reached the corner at the same time, turned, and froze. There he was, what looked to be the spirit of a little boy, only standing about 20 feet in front of them in the middle of the hallway. 
facing them. Antoine stared open-mouthed at the image before them. They looked at each other in stunned silence before turning back towards the ghost. Rodrigo quietly bent down on one knee and asked, Are you Maurice Berger? After a few silent beats, unbelievably, the spirit spoke. Do you want to play? Rodrigo, shaking a bit now with excitement and wonder, maybe a touch of fear, looked up at Antoine who answered, Yeah. Yeah, kid, we, we want to play. The spirit then tilted its head slightly and smiled. And now both men started to get a little scared. And then quickly, very, very scared. The lights above them and around them began to flicker. You could feel electric current nearby. The smile started off with a child's smile, but then quickly shifted to a menacing and mischievous grin, threatening. And now the apparition began to walk towards them at a fast clip. On instinct, the air growing colder around them, a strong, threatening energy in the air. Both men turned to run and did just that, running as fast as they could back towards the room. The lights flickering wildly. They could hear laughter behind them, neither daring to look behind them and find out how close Maurice or what pretended to be Maurice was to lure them out was to catching them. Halfway towards the room, another apparition, <gasps> looking exactly like the first, came around a corner, also started to move quickly towards them. They would never make it to their door before it did. They stopped and looked behind them, the first little boy still there, stopping about 15 or so feet away. The lights shutting off now for a few seconds at a time before coming back on. The boy they stared at was not a little boy anymore. Antoine would later remember that he saw the rotted corpse of a child, skin missing in places, flesh rotted off to the bone, clothing thin, molded, and tattered, its eyes gone, nose and ears, nothing but nubs, hair and little wisps attached to little more than skull in places. Rodrigo later remembered seeing what looked like a shadowy demonic entity, red eyes, no discernible features other than eyes and dark, uh, dark humanoid shape, a living shadow. Both would later wonder if the thing presented itself in whatever form would scare each man the most. They spun back around to look for the second entity. It now stood just outside the door to their room. The lights continued to shut on and off. Each time they flipped back on, the men feared these things would be only inches away from them. To Antoine, the second thing appeared as a smaller version of the corpse of an uncle of his who died in an accident many years ago, the only open casket funeral he'd ever been to. He'd had nightmares as a kid after seeing a dead body for the first time. Rodrigo later claimed to see what looked like a mashup of Chucky from Child's Play and the dead little boy Gage from the original Pet Cemetery movie, the two horror movies that scared him the most growing up. Both entities began to move forward, closing in on them. The air grew so cold they could see their breath. The most intense feeling of dread weighed down upon them, making it feel like it was hard to breathe. Rodrigo couldn't take it anymore, and he started to scream. Antoine followed. Both men were now screaming at the top of their lungs, their eyes filling up with tears, a feeling of impending doom and death poisoning every fiber of their beings. Play with us. The first entity spoke in a voice that was anything but that of a child's. Isn't this what you wanted? Said the other in the same voice. Now the door to the room opened and out walked a third apparition, same size as the first two. Both men will later tell the other they were absolutely certain they were going to die in that hallway now. The elevator lay in between them and their room and suddenly no one had pushed the button for their floor, but the doors opened nonetheless and a fourth entity walked out into the hallway. Hey, hey, hey! What the hell are you two doing? The form of a child-sized ghost went away and a security guard stood before <gasps> them. Antoine had barely finished yelling, They're going to kill us! when he realized all the apparitions had vanished. The feeling of doom was gone, the lights and temperature returned to normal. Who's trying to kill you? Asked the guard, the same as guard as before, as the men frantically spun around tears in their eyes, looking exactly as crazy as the guard now absolutely thought they were. They were just here, yelled Rodrigo. Please keep your voices down. This hotel is full. We do not need y'all waking up the other guests. I told y'all earlier, please stay in your rooms. 
I don't know what you're on, but you're about to get removed from this hotel. The tone she used made both men feel like they were little boys again, getting yelled at by mom who'd had it with their shenanigans. After a moment of two or, or two of tense silence, Rodrigo spoke calmly. So sorry. I swear we thought we heard something in the hall. Our, our imaginations got going. I'm so embarrassed. I, I promise we'll stay in our room the rest of the night. We will not cause another problem. You better not. If I have to come up here again, it's going to be for you to grab your things and check out of the hotel immediately. Yes, ma'am, Antoine answered. A few other guests down the hall were now peeking out of the rooms to see what the commotion was about. Like shame children, but very scared shame children, Rodrigo and Antoine walked back to the room while the guard glared at them, both worried that one of the entities they just witnessed would be waiting inside for them. And then they really would be packing their stuff or just leaving with what they had on. Luckily, it seemed as if they were alone. The door shut behind him and Antoine whispered, what the fuck was that all about? I don't know, but I honestly thought we were going to die out there. Rodrigo buried his head on Antoine's chest in a big hug. After a moment of doing some stress crying, the pair turned on all the lights, played some light, happy music quietly from one of their phones, and crawled into bed, still mostly dressed. They hid under the blankets like scared kids at a sleepover and waited the night out. Fortunately, they didn't see anything else. But several times throughout the rest of the night, something returned to outside their room. Three knocks giggling, footsteps racing down the hall. Something wanted to lure them out again. They got much, much more than they were hoping for with their paranormal investigating. At first light the following morning, after dozing in and out of a light sleep for maybe two or three hours, they quickly packed, threw their stuff in the car, spent their anniversary driving back to Biloxi, wondering when, if ever, they'd go ghost hunting again. Well, I hope they learned their lesson. Mm-hmm. I'm a little annoyed at the security guard. Well, but she probably didn't see anything. But she has to know where she works. So, like, why is she so shocked? And also, the 14th floor, which is actually the 13th floor, mm -hmm. like, how is it that she works there and she doesn't know the lore? Like, how is it that she's not coming out and being like, hey, guys, I know what you're doing. We, oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're not going to be the, the one and only group mm. of people, couple, whatever, persons yeah. to come there and do that. True. She was very unsympathetic. She's an unlikable character. <laughs> Well, they're screaming in the uh, in the hallway in the middle of the middle of the night. I know, but you kn you have to know why. Yeah, probably. Right? Maybe she just maybe she doesn't believe it. Maybe maybe yeah. she's never seen anything, and she's like, enough with this shit. That's true. That's fair. And mm -hmm. maybe she's just like, yep, it's there. Get like, yeah, get over it. Get over it. Like you came here. <laughs> I've had enough of this. My mm -hmm. job's hard enough. Okay. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Okay. She is a tiny bit likable. <laughs> And I mean, not always, but um, but I know that sometimes people who work the late night shift, sometimes it's the only shift they can get. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's what works for their life. But I definitely have talked to numerous people over the years, especially checking late to hotels, mm -hmm. who uh, they uh, like, I just asked them, I'm like, oh, how's the shift going? And I've had people just say, uh, you know, they love the overnight shift because mm -hmm. they don't like talking to lots of people. Oh, they, they like oh. It's like a personality. It's like a temperament that wants to just be left alone. Mm -hmm. And if these guys are causing a problem that she usually doesn't have to deal with. Maybe she's just a little little snappy. A little salty. Mm -hmm. Also, I feel like a lot of people who work night shift are also fall into two other categories. Mm. Oftentimes it's a college student. Mm, yeah. Because it doesn't interfere. schedule, yeah. Yeah, it works into their schedule and but they can study. Mm-hmm. And then also mm -hmm. people who are working a second job. So they're already Dang. coming to work. They're tired. Tired. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Okay. Carry on. I'm sure you have. Yeah, a few pictures. Yeah. This first picture is a picture of Hotel Monteleone shortly after it opened in the late 19th century. I mean, you know, I love Royal Street. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so cool. Like uh, looking at it back then, you know, what an impressive building now. Uh -huh. But I think it would have felt more impressive 
you know, when there was so much less technology and yeah, and, and, and just frankly, not as many buildings like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, pick at the lobby shortly after the hotel opened in 1886. So beautiful. Yeah, they really went all out with that renovation. They sure did. Or, or I guess that, that not even renovation, renovation building it yeah. when it was new. The design. Uh, this is a recent pick of the hotel. I couldn't find one that was like spread, pulled back enough. It was usually like these shots of like from the ground up or an aerial view that just didn't really show it like I wanted it to. Yeah, I feel like I... I, th- I don't know that I know this one. I think I do, but I would need to see it. I mean, I know Royal... Royal and Iberville. I'm like, I, I feel like I can it's picture right it. Right on the very western edge. Like, right of as you're going into the CBD. Yep, you will just cross the street. I yep. believe. I think I, I think I do know where it is. Uh, this next picture inside one of the uh, hotel's many suites. It's got the old oh, style. Yeah. Uh, and then one mm. of the supposed haunted hallways of the 14th floor is this final pick. Okay, I thought you were gonna show me something spooky. Nope, but I mean, it would be spooky if you saw something mm-hmm. at the end of that. Hmm. Interesting that the floors are tile. That's not normal in a hotel. Oh, yeah. Usually mm-hmm. it's a... Well, I, I guess when the hotel was built, it would have made more sense because uh, they, they didn't have, like, you know, l- uh, luggage with wheels. Oh, So you would have probably, yeah. like, big carts and wardrobes and, like, a different kind of thing where, like, you know, now it's like we have carpet to absorb sound. Oh, yeah, so it's not... Exactly. Yeah, your wheels are going over those little tile markers. You know what's really cool about hotels in the CBD is that a lot of them are old um, canneries hmm. uh, and like Peshaw's bitters, like bitters that you, oh. a certain kind of bitters that you huh. put in. Is that um, an old manufacturing center? Mm-hmm, that, yeah, there's a couple of hotels like that in the CBD that, that well, there is mm-hmm. the place that they used to manufacture Peshaw's. Is it still in operation? I can't remember, but, but yeah, but there's like some, because yeah. it was a, like uh, a, uh, industrial part of town. Right. It has some really cool old hotels. Yeah, that's always interesting about like, you know, traveling around to different cities just where when the industrial industrial revolution hits, mm-hmm. they would tend to build a lot of the factories and things downtown. Mm-hmm. And now that's not done at all. Now no. there's like an industrial kind of seg- section of town, like an industrial park, yep. you know, in an area where that stuff is zoning wise allowed to to be built. But it, it's weird for me to think of like going to a downtown and and having like all these high rises, uh, like hotels mm-hmm. and also factories. Yeah, yeah. Well, like my dad worked in a factory for the vast majority of my life, mm-hmm. and it was on the outskirts of town, like not downtown, not downtown at all. Right, right. Yeah. Yep, yep. And so, yeah, yeah. I, I always think of factories like, you know, on the edge or like in a neighborhood mm-hmm. where nobody else wants to be, or it might not even be residential at all. It might not yeah. be residential. Well, in our lifetimes, that's how it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's better city planning, right? Yeah, well, but back then when the, um, you know, especially late 19th century, when people weren't driving cars. Yeah. And uh, they had to get to work. It makes total sense where it's like oh, sure. live in the big apartment high rise and then walk two blocks to the big factory. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Have you ever seen a dead body? Uh, No. Mm-mm. Not even once. Mm-mm, not even once. Looks, no, I was thinking back to Papa Ward's funeral and it's not like it was open casket. Yeah. No one in my family has ever done open casket. Is there a reason why? Uh, just, I don't know. Just uh, I don't think that happens in in Riggins, really. I mean, I, I don't know if that comes more from Catholic tradition, the open casket. I feel like it might. Yeah, it, it might because our, our town did not have very many Catholics at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, since I was raised Catholic in every funeral I went to, which was a lot. We're open. <laughs> all of them. Every se- Well, yeah, except we for... No, my cousin, because my cousin Ross was killed by a, a drunk driver in right, a really bad accident. Right, right, right. But his was still open. But I want to say his dad, my uncle Bill, who mm-hmm. also died in a very tragic accident. 
I think his might have been closed because mm-hmm. it was so. Of course. He was so. Um, yeah, the remains were mutilated. Mutilated, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. I just, when he said that, like, uh, one of the characters said, like, he'd never seen a dead body, I'm like, what? Who's never seen a dead body? How do you go to a funeral and not see a dead body? <laughs> but okay. I guess, yeah, I didn't know. Oh, yeah, he'd never seen one before. Mm-hmm. Uh, that His uncle, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was thinking in my mind, too, <laughs> I could see this being you and I, like me agreeing to go along. Mm-hmm. And then also, what I would have done differently mm-hmm. is I would have said, okay, get dressed, and we're yeah. going to stand by the door, and we're going to stare out the peephole, Ooh, mm-hmm. and we're just going to watch for it to come. And that, that would be enough. I don't need to go mm-hmm. in the hallway and interact with it and talk with it. Knocks mm-hmm. on the door, and just like seeing it, that's enough. So you, that enough? So, so you don't think if you saw, if you're in a hotel yeah. and you see, okay, in your scenario, yeah. I mean, this one, you know, it was just a knocking and you wanted to like know what's doing the knocking and mm-hmm. then you happen to see something. Mm-hmm. But let's say you're looking through the peephole and let's say you hear the knocking and you do see some ghostly apparition mm-hmm. and then it moves down the hall like it's like it's headed down the hall. Yeah. You don't think you'd open the door and peek at it? Are you insane? Why you would don't think, you don't why think would curiosity, curiosity would just compel you to nope, to, know, to want to know what it's doing? No, absolutely not. I don't give a shit what it's doing. Actually, my my concern at that point, mm-hmm. now that I say it out loud, mm-hmm. is that then I'm going to watch it go through the wall into someone else's room. I am getting my shit and I'm getting out of there because what if it can mm-hmm. pass through a wall and then it makes its way into my room? But if it's not hurting anyone. I just don't even need to be in the same room as it. I saw it. It knocked. I saw it. I'm good. Confirmation. I, why I, do you want to interact with it? So that what curiosity? just happened can happen to you? What's the key? Okay, tell me. I want to what- know what I, I want to know what it's going to do. What's it doing out there? It's where's it going? It's luring. You. I want to have. I want to have. I want to extend this moment of something so intense that I've never seen like something like that before. But but when does it end well? Ever? Well, plenty of times actually. No, for real. Plenty of times people see spirits follow, and, and then they just like when they approach them, just poof, they just they just go away. They're gone. This this is the exception. Let, uh, let me rephrase that question. Yeah. When does interacting with it like like mm. a give and take? And that usually doesn't go well. No, so, often so to me, like what but, you're saying is yeah. that you want to interact with it so that it will interact. You want to talk to it so it will talk back to you. Yeah. And if it talks back to you, well, now I'm really scared. I, I will say on this show, when we look at all the supposed, you know, like um, haunted tales that are out there on the web that we can find. Yeah. Always try to pick the scariest ones. Of course. So it does end up presenting a skewed version of like what's out there and how things react. There are plenty of stories you can find, you know, online where they don't do anything. Okay, yes. I just don't tell those stories here as often. Okay, yes, but, asterisk, I don't know if you can actually say with certainty that more times than not, it's not a terrifying interaction because yeah, we don't know. we don't have a, a compendium of everything. No, there's not right? like stats on it. That, right. Yeah. So so in your I, mean, I hear you that <laughs> yeah. in your experience. Yeah. Right. But it's like, but what if what if there's like some resource that you haven't tapped into yeah. where every story is fucking terrifying and that outweighs <laughs> all yeah. these ones that weren't. So I was laughing because that reminded me of um on Time Suck, I'll often go to like governmental websites mm-hmm. to get like census information. Mm-hmm. You know, find out what someone's income was in 1945 or whatever, and it's very boring. Just spreadsheets. You're just, or fascinating. I mean, I, I do like it. I do like looking, but but the presentation is uh you know yeah not exciting. Yeah, and it was just cracking me up to think of like finding like you know the U- U.S. government's like Census Bureau, and there's like ghost sighting statistics. Yeah, just year I by year, it. like uh, and percentage of encounters, percentage of encounters with malevolent spirits, uh, spirits that dissipated on contact. You okay, know? but also very helpful. Oh my god, if that existed be super helpful does that exist maybe it does no it does not not i mean not like not at the government level but like i don't know people have been documenting (laughs) these things for so long 
Yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, I don't know who's taking the time to to make a spreadsheet. I don't think so. I'll take a ghost spreadsheet. <laughs> I, lo- I love a spreadsheet. Love me a spreadsheet. Uh, are you ready to leave, Nola? Oh, never take me back. <laughs> Let's head to another place that actually actually has a ton of horror stories coming out of it, and that is Connecticut. Connecticut. Well, sure. I mean, makes sense. Before we move off to Ed and Lorraine Warren's old stomping grounds, let's first take a quick in-between story sponsor break. What is the most basic gift you have ever given the moms in your life for Mother's Day? Flowers? A candle? Some random knickknack you picked up at the last minute because you completely spaced Mother's Day? I have definitely made the mistake of procrastinating gifts for Mother's Day. And then, like the Friday before, I run to whatever store is open and convince myself that, yes, yes, my mom does need another coffee mug that declares she's the world's (laughs) best. So lame. This year, how about one-upping yourself by giving the moms in your life an Aura picture frame? Named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to any mom at any age. Aura Frames connect easily to Wi-Fi and have unlimited storage so you can share as many pictures as you want. This year, as many of you know, I am on a spending freeze. But one of my carve-outs was meaningful gifts for the people I love. I don't want to give all of the moms in our lives something that won't bring them joy. We are giving Aura Frames to the moms in our world because they are timeless, heartwarming gifts. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code SCARED at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What are the things that weigh you down on a day-to-day basis? What kind of stress are you holding on to? Do you spend much of your day going over things in your brain over and over until they are so distracting it affects your mental health? Well, don't worry. You're not alone. We all carry different stressors, some big, some small. When we keep things bottled up, the results can be negative. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest without fear or judgment. It's a place to work through what is heavy on your mind and heart so that you can feel lighter and happier. I'm always holding on to something. It's the way my anxious brain works. I'm continually worried that I've done something wrong, that I've hurt the feelings of someone I love, and that I have let someone down. I'm stressed that I'm not being a good enough mom or wife. I panic that our life will implode at any given moment and it'll all be my fault. Thankfully, I have an amazing therapist who helps me talk through each of these scenarios. After each and every appointment, I feel lighter, happier, and more capable of showing up as my most authentic self. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Scared to Death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Scared to Death. Summer is just around the corner. Who's excited? I know I am. With the warmer, sunnier days calling your name, the last place you're going to want to be is in your kitchen, cooking, and meal prepping. Make your life easier with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Factors Never Frozen, Always Fresh Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Think of all the extra time you will get outside in the summer sun when you aren't wasting hours in the kitchen. I think I speak for everyone when I say that the summer is the busiest time of the year. We are all trying to cram in as many things as possible, from concerts to vacations and everything in between. With Kyler home from college and Monroe on her break too, I want to spend as much time as possible with them. And while I truly love to cook, the summer is the one time of year that I'm the least interested in doing that for three meals a day. So I lean on Factor to help keep me healthy and in step with my diet. I'm obsessed with the honey yogurt pancakes for breakfast, the pork El Pastor for lunch, and the cilantro lime barramundi for dinner. So easy and saves me so much time. 
Head to Factormeals.com slash ScaredToDeath50 and use code ScaredToDeath50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code ScaredToDeath50 at Factormeals.com slash ScaredToDeath50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Thanks for listening to our sponsor deals, Creeps and Peepers. Uh, we've been in or around uh, Hartford, Connecticut, several times now on Scared to Death. Today, we're we're going to be in the suburbs. Manchester, Connecticut, a quiet suburb of Hartford, uh, and quieter still uh, 30 years ago, seemed like the kind of place where nothing bad ever happened, where nothing bad was going to happen. A typical American suburb with a lot of big box stores, cute and affordable homes, and quiet tree-lined neighborhoods, and a very low crime rate. Especially in the early 90s, when life maybe seemed a little simpler around most of the nation, Manchester seemed like the ideal place to raise a family. Somewhere with a small town feel, but the conveniences of bordering a big city. But for the Jones family, Manchester would be the setting for a long and unsettling nightmare. Time now for the tale of the boy who saw the dead. It was the summer of 1999, and Michael Jones prayed that the bad people would leave him alone, at least just for one night. One night where he could maybe sleep in peace and not continue to live in endless terror. Alone, again, in his darkened bedroom, And again, afraid of what might happen in the dark, the Manchester boy with the cherubic face turned on all the lights and hoped that just maybe he would make it through the night without them appearing. But it didn't seem likely. Michael, only 13 years old, had been seeing strange faces and figures since he was six. When it first happened, he and his family had lived on Glenwood Street in Manchester. Michael was alone in his room when he was visited by the shadowy figure of an old man surrounded by shining light. The man extended his hand trying to touch Michael's shoulder and Michael screamed. His mother raced to his aid and found him curled up in a corner, hands clenched around his knees, trembling uncontrollably, his face pale. It's grandpa's grandpa, he told his mother in a shaky voice. His mother thought, as almost any parent would, that the ghost was actually nothing more than a nightmare and tried to console him. But then several hours later, after putting him back in bed, Michael said he saw the same ghostly man again. Now afraid there might be an actual intruder, Denise searched everywhere but found nothing. Again, she thought it was just a nightmare or a small child's imagination, but then the visions would just keep coming, night after night. Now Denise was worried that her son might be mentally unwell. She contacted a school counselor, a neurologist, and a psychologist, 1993, when Michael was six, hoping that the cause of these disturbing visions would soon be revealed, and Michael could go back to being a happy-go-lucky little boy. But each mental health professional thought Michael was actually completely well. No physical or psychological symptoms. Meanwhile, he continued to see shadowy figures, either in full body form or sometimes partially disembodied apparitions, maybe just a face appearing around him. And as time went on, Michael's experiences intensified and his mother worried the doctors had missed something. But then the whole family began to witness strange occurrences. For instance, one day later in 1993, while Michael and his older brother Kenny were playing a board game, the dice suddenly flew across the room and the cards flew up into the air. The metal game pieces floated up and shot through the room with such force that later they would find pieces embedded in a plastic wall or plaster wall. Denise had obviously questions and concerns. How is this possible? And should these actions be interpreted as a threat? While she was left wondering, the chaos continued and Michael continued to have strange and disturbing visions. One of the entities that visited him was someone Michael called the Shadow Man. And the rest of the family saw the effects of what the Shadow Man might have been up to. One evening, Michael's family walked into the kitchen and found all the cabinet doors open. Drawers had been pulled out as far as possible. The refrigerator tilted on one side and a multicolored liquid 
Not a liquid any of them could identify dripped out onto the floor. On the kitchen table, plates, glasses, bowls, and silverware were piled up into a four-foot-tall stack. Boxes and cans of food from the cabinets ringed the table. Then as Denise looked around the room, she saw out of the corner of her eye a shadowy apparition in the shape of a man crawling up the wall. And she screamed. What was happening inside their home? The Jones family now sought out and enlisted the help of a nonprofit group known as Issue, Investigations of Strange Sightings and Unexplained Events, based about 70 miles away to the southwest in Westport, Connecticut. Using devices such as an electromagnetic field meter, audio recorders, and two cameras, Keith uh, Ariemi, Ariemi, the leader of the group, said he found numerous outward manifestations or spirits in the house. Ariemi said he believed Michael was in the early stages of demonic possession and recommended an exorcism by the Reverend Robert McKenna, uh, someone we've heard before or heard of before, pastor of Our Lady of the Rosary Chapel in Monroe. Uh, McKenna's name has showed up in a few of our stories. He achieved uh, quite a bit of notoriety helping famed demonologist Ed and Lorraine Warren in Connecticut on numerous paranormal cases where demons were believed to be involved. McKenna founded his Our Lady of the Rosary Chapel congregation after he'd been banished from the Roman Catholic Church for resisting some Vatican II reforms of the 1960s. In March 1998, McKenna would tell a local newspaper that he'd performed about 125 exorcisms in the past 15 years. None of them authorized by the Roman Catholic Church, but all of them believed to be very real by himself and numerous other witnesses involved in all the cases. And in February of 1998, McKenna came to see Michael. Alone with the boy in his room, McKenna began to pray. He held a crucifix in front of himself, clutching it tighter and tighter, as he would later report, and then dark shapes began to swirl around he and Michael in the room. After a few hours, McKenna told the family the exorcism had worked. But, of course, it had not. Michael was still tormented night after night by visions of shadowy figures and, as he would say, chalky-looking men. This now continues for years. In 1999, things were worse than before, though Michael still, still looked like an ordinary boy who lived in a family home off Main Street near Manchester Memorial Hospital. A typical 13-year-old with baggy pants, untied tennis shoes, and dark hair slicked back, he was anything but. In June of 99, Brandon Thomas McNada, Michael's best friend, came to the house to look for him. Michael wasn't home, but Brandon decided to borrow Michael's jacket as it had gotten a little chilly outside. Just a few hours later, Brandon's family would get the call that no parent ever wants to get. Oh, no. He'd been killed when a car hit him on his bike. According to police reports, he'd driven straight out into oncoming traffic. How? Why? Brandon was 13, more than used to riding his bike around busy streets. Michael and Denise thought it was unlikely he'd suddenly forgotten how traffic laws worked. They thought maybe the spirits had been confused about Michael's jacket mistook Brandon for the boy that they wanted to harm. Shortly after the tragedy, Michael's sightings got much worse. Most nights, as soon as his family went to bed, strange sounds of laughter and crying pierced the stillness. Unexplainable banging and hammering pummeled the house. Someone could often be heard pacing up and down the second floor bedroom hallway. Doors mysteriously opened and slammed shut. And now on this night, things would get much worse. Usually, Michael never heard voices say actual words, but in the cacophony of laughter, crying, slamming, pacing, etc., he heard an eerie moan. It sounded like someone saying, Mom! (gasps) Michael started to scream. He didn't know how much more he could take. Family members jumped out of bed and raced to the boy. His stepfather, Bruce, tried to open the bedroom door, which had no lock, but it wouldn't budge. 
After he rammed it with his shoulder several times, the door suddenly flew open. His mother, Denise, peered inside and saw a trembling and terrified Michael, his pajamas torn in several places, huddled in a corner. His blankets lay twisted in the form of a noose laid out in the middle of the floor. None of the Joneses knew what to do. An exorcism had failed. A possible attempt on Michael's life had taken a dear friend, and now the spirits seemed to be threatening him again with a noose. After looking into paranormal investigators, they found a man named John Zaffis. John would go on to star in the sci-fi paranormal reality TV show, Haunted Collector. And he has ran the Paranormal and Demonology Research Society of New England since he founded it shortly before he would visit the Jones family in 1998. John would go on to assist Father McKenna in numerous cases where the work of demons was believed to be at play. Zaffis would eventually provide the Jones family with some answers, but not ones they were hoping for. Zaffis spent hundreds of hours with the Jones family and documented Michael's sightings and first tried to determine if he was neurologically sound. John uncovered through his research that Michael was very ill at birth and his heart had stopped over 20 times. He believes that Michael, when he was very young, had a near-death experience that somehow opened a door between him and the spirit world. Unfortunately, John has no idea how to close that door. And as far as we know, that door to the spirit world still is not closed. Hopefully, Michael has been quiet regarding updates to his story for many years now because it's all over and he's free of the entities that have tormented him, the shadowy beings, the chalky men that seem to always lurk near, waiting to strike. Hopefully, he's not been quiet because he instead finally passed on when the spirits brought him into their realm of the dead. Well, that was rude. I don't know. I don't like that. Why'd you ask that question? He's probably fine. He's fine. I don't know anything. I don't know. I don't know that. Okay. Also, I just freaked myself out a little bit. Mm -hmm. Was that light? A different color earlier? Must have been. I don't know. I don't remember. It was. I slowly adjusted it. <laughs> my God! Oh, Good my job, Logan. God. I was so into the story here. My but heart like, oh. started racing. I was like, oh, my God. There's a fucking demon in here in the light. It's talking to us. Oof. Ooh, ooh, Logan, you could have got away with that. Thank you for not. <laughs> Thank you for relieving me. Of that. Also, um, this awesome set deck that Logan did. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, the way that this hand is, is it's like in just such a way uh, where I can't see the arm. I can only mm-hmm. see the hand. And I know it's not moving. But every so often, I, my peripheral, I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> How creepy was that one little detail of the shadow crawling up the wall? Any anytime they use that trope in a horror movie, Ooh-wee. I because it also comes with that that like clicking sound. Yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, that's a terrible sound. Can you guys hear that? Ooh, yeah, yeah. I'm excited to find that you're finally going to go watch a horror movie with me and Momo. Okay, here's the thing. The day after this recording, we're going to go see either Smile or what was it, Barbarian? Barbarian or Pearl. That one, the time doesn't work. Oh, okay, great. Um, I mean, not great. I'm just, I don't care. The other two seem scorier, scarier. Scorier, yeah. yeah scorier. I love scary movies. Um, <laughs> I'm better, I'm going to burp. Okay. Excuse me. Sorry. I am better with a horror movie outside of our house. Hmm, interesting. Because I think that like, we haven't talked about this in so long. I, haven't. God, I hate that I said that word all the time. Sorry. What did you say? Interesting. Oh. Um, default. <laughs> fair enough. But you don't like watching the movies in the house. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, because then, it, then it just, like, it feels, well, this is going to sound so stupid, like, duh, but it just feels too close to home. It just, when it's in my space and the, it shifts yeah. the energy in the house and I don't like it, I can leave it at the movie theater. Mm-hmm. I can just leave it there. Like, I leave my popcorn. I was, uh, yeah, yeah. associations with places can make them, like, scarier. Like, when you're telling more and more scary stories. Like, this room has gotten scary to me over time. Oh. Because we've talked about so many scary stories in this room. 
Hmm. And I used that earlier when I was working on the next episode stories. Yeah, you just came in and I, like I sat in the dark, listened to some really uh, scary, scary, God, scary, scary. Uh, John Carpenter inspired like synth wave. It'd be like dark synth wave. I'm just over here with cleansing. <laughs> so it's instrumental stuff, mm-hmm. and it definitely helped with the mood. Like I was, you know, working on the story, getting into it. I, I dimmed the light on my monitor uh, so I could, you know, just light enough to see it. So mm-hmm. it was very dark and I could see the shadows of all these dolls in front of me. I'm like, oh, this is oh. a fucking creepy room. That sounds great. That sounds nice. It sounds really nice. <laughs> um, do you want to see some photos? It's probably It probably feels like pretty good if you sat here because there's like a lot of cleansing over mm. here. There's like a lot of crystals on this side. I was, I was sitting on the, the front facing the yeah, wall. Yeah, no, that's the wrong spot. That That's like the uncleansed area. That's why uh, I feel so oof there. Was, but here it's like, huh. <laughs> I was feeling brave, but it was morning also before lunch. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> it really? It was morning before lunch? <laughs> it was in the morning before we went to lunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I was thinking, I had my back to the door and uh-huh. I was thinking... Uh, like I knew Logan was out there. Yeah. But if I was to come here like, you know, late at night and no try way. to do that, I don't think I could, I don't think I'd last very long. <laughs> I don't like to have my, Oh no, I couldn't do it all. God, that scares me to think about it. I don't like to have my back to any door in general. And my mm-hmm. dad always like had a preference when we would go out to eat to sit in a uh, booth or table facing the room. Mm-hmm. So then I, I just grew up with this understanding, like don't ever turn your back to a room. Like, and that was not about being scared. Yeah, that was my dad's a people watcher. Though. Yeah. 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 Uh, got some photos. First is a photo of Bishop McKenna, a younger man in this photo with the glasses. What up, bro? I love your glasses. <laughs> He's got some cool tinted shades. Oh man, the seventies are making a comeback this fall. I'm so into it. Uh, this next picture, uh, paranormal investigator, demonologist, John Zaffis. Of course. He, I know, I know. That's his press photo. Come on, you guys. Really he's, like he's, red he's, and black with a smoky background. I know. Come on. I know. I will say, I don't know anything about him, so I don't want to shit on him. But it, it is an annoying thing in the horror world where it's like it feels like people feel compelled. Kind of like, okay, in the comedy space, mm-hmm. people feel compelled to like look wacky in photos. Uh, not as much as they used to, I will say. More more when I started doing comedy. But in the horror world, there definitely is this thing of like you got to be surrounded by spiders or, or it's just something yeah. uh, uh, or wearing like a cult kind of thing. Right. To give you legitimacy. Yeah. And, and, and I, it's get, like, I get it. Like you maybe you don't want to have your photo taken in like a field of sunflowers. No, no. But it's just the way the poses and stuff where it's like, yeah, we'll get, we had pictures taken in this room and it's you know, a little spooky. But um, but some yeah. The, to me, there is that line. I guess it's a moving line. It's gonna be different for everybody. When it's like, okay, you've gone full stereotype. Uh huh. And you're just like, I must look as spooky as possible. Okay. Uh, next next photo. We're so judgy. <laughs> I know. I'm sure people have the same things about us. They're like, well, you guys do this now. I know. Uh, they're probably like, oh, okay, all right, uh, okay, Mr. Graphic T-shirts. <laughs> Totally. <laughs> Mr. Tattoos, Mr. Scary Tattoos. You got to like uh, it. Oh, next... he looks so tired. I know. Oh, yeah. This is oh, young Michael Jones. Oh, pumpkin. That's from an episode of Un- Unsolved Mysteries. Honey. And then this next one, a photo of the Jones home in Manchester. So, you know, just, uh, of course, Ugh. at night it's going to look spooky. Yeah. And then finally, Michael's drawing uh, when he was a kid of the Shadow Man. Oh. That would suck. If our whole, little kids seeing things all the oh time. Oh my gosh. If our whole family yeah. was suddenly thinking that they were seeing things, mm-hmm. I have to tell you that I think my first instinct would be... It's a gas leak. I, I would think like, is there carbon monoxide poisoning in here? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yep. Yeah, I would be checking. I mean, because you... The thing is, is you don't want it to be anything unexplainable. Yeah. You want it to be a gas leak. You want it to be faulty wires. You want it to be mm-hmm. anything other than... I can't explain that. That's mm-hmm. so uncomfortable. Like, what do you do with that? Okay, I just have to tell you, at the beginning of the story, I was really holding back a laugh because you said that... Oh, no. 
Michael has a cherubic face. Yeah, like a cherub. No, I know what you meant. I heard Rubik's Cube, and for like the first, I don't know, 90 seconds, I was just picturing this kid with like a Rubik's Cube head. (laughs) (laughs) It was really funny in my head. Square puzzle for the head. (laughs) It's so dumb because it's obviously not a thing. But I was really, oof. I I, I almost had to stop you. I thought you were going to correct me on a pronunciation. I I, I thought you were going to say say? something. When I said Cherubic, which I think is how you say it, but but then I well, because it wouldn't be cherubic. Yeah, that sounds even weirder. But that's what I thought you were going to do. Yeah. Uh, I, I I was expecting you to say like uh, it's actually common knowledge that that word is uh, cherubic or you know something yeah. different. One of those one of those words. I'm like, great. I've been saying it wrong my whole life. No, I also wondered, and I I'm certain you don't have the answer to this, but that uh, is, issue that paranormal group. Like, mm-hmm. I wonder if they still exist. I don't know. I don't know. There, there sure was uh, a lot of paranormal investigation groups in Connecticut, specifically mm-hmm. you know, like Ed and Lorraine, and like. But there's like a, quite a variety of them, and I don't know how many are still active. I have to say, they I'm, sprang up in like the I think 70s, 80s, 90s. I'm pretty excited. We're going to the East Coast. Well, you're going to the East Coast to Boston for, mm-hmm, shows. for shows. By the time you guys hear this, it'll be come and gone. Yeah, because this is the. 10, 12 episode, mm. but when you hear this, we'll be on our way back to know, the East pretty Coast. pretty ridiculous. To Boston. To Boston to look at colleges for Kyler. I know, it just didn't work out with the schedule and, and with my shows to do it, so I I, it is crazy that I'm going to be going there back-to-back weekends. I know. We're such dinglings that, like, why didn't we figure out you just staying there? Mm, yeah, I know. I like coming this home, is, This is our life. <laughs> I, I know, I know, but, yeah. like, oh, man, East Coast, like, West mm-hmm. to East, West to East. Yeah. But, I, but I'm excited. I don't know that I have ever really been on the East Coast, the New England states, in the fall, mm-hmm. and we're headed up to Vermont. I've never been there, and I'm oh, so yeah. excited. Yeah, it's going to be pretty. Mm-hmm. And it'll put me in the spoopy mood, for sure. Yeah, yeah. We, we can force the kids to listen to Scared to Death. <laughs> oh, my so God. Listen to us talk some more. <laughs> okay, so... Drew and his wife, Krista, mm-hmm. shared their story of a haunted house that they lived in. And like, first of all, I think the story is totally spoopy. And second of all, you know, so many times we talk about like, oh, if the story comes from someone who's like in the military or a doctor or a scientist, someone with an analytical brain, it, it for us, lends a little bit more credibility to it. Where mm-hmm. it's, And then, okay, so on this level, Krista and Drew, Drew is his PhD, and I'm 99% sure that so does Krista, okay? So really intelligent people. And then also, we know them. So Mm -hmm. then there's like two very deep layers of credibility. And so it just like, it really settled into me. Because I imagine like going to dinner with them, and they're like, guess what happened? Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I know. I do like those uh, conversations you have. And it's amazing how many people do have stories. Oh, yeah, like that couple in New Orleans? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think yeah, we talked, to, I think, well, you know what? We were going to talk about them on our Patreon. I don't think we ever got around to it. No, no, because we, we ended it, up crying yeah. the whole time. <laughs> it took a very strange... Uh, nostalgic. nostalgic. Uh, no, reflective. Reflective, turn. grateful turn in the Patreon episode for this month. Yeah. Just, but anyways, there was a lot of tears. For this last month. Yeah, the, yeah. the September uh, one. September, yeah. But, um, but since we didn't talk about that there... Yeah, I love that we, our first night to ourselves in New Orleans, we go down to the hotel bar mm-hmm. and uh, just whoever we happened to sit next to got to chatting. Uh, turned out it was this um, uh, this psychiatrist who uh, was now on some big board of psychiatry mm-hmm. and his wife, they lived somewhere in Florida. Florida Before yeah. that, they both grew up, born and raised in uh, Puerto Rico. Uh-huh. And they were and they found out what we did, talked about scared to death. And then they were like, well, we, do we have stories for you? And mm-hmm. proceeded, Everybody's got a story. I love it. Yeah, they, And they proceeded to share like really intense, like mm-hmm. paranormal visitation stories, both of them. Mm-hmm. And some of the stories where it's like multiple family members saw some weird thing happen or something moved. Yeah. When they were growing up in Puerto Rico. 
that one story, the, the woman story, you know, her grandma, uh, a friend of when her grandma was a young girl on the way to school, like one of her friends died in some tragic accident, mm-hmm. one of the uh, friends in their little group. Mm-hmm. And then later on, when the rest of those friends were hanging out one night, a different one of the girls went into a trance, started speaking as the girl who passed and saying things that that girl would know. But there's just Unbelievable. so many stories like that. And they both, you know totally believe them. And you talked about the credibility. And I mean, yeah. I thought like, yeah, this guy's a, you know, a psychiatrist. He's mm-hmm. on a, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it was some big psychiatric board. I, he probably doesn't want us to say. No, yeah. But it seemed to be a psychiatrist of note. Yeah. He and, was there for a big conference. Yeah, there's so many people with stories. I love that I actually didn't know that story because the way that we were positioned at the bar, I, know. I couldn't hear a fucking thing. Yeah, yeah. I was you just were... doing a lot of like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then you were sitting behind me. Okay, and, and then they were yeah, a couple people down. And then there was this beautiful girl at the end of the bar, and mm-hmm. I thought she was making eyes at me, so I kept kind of like looking at her, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh my God, she's so pretty. And then as we were getting, up I to also leave, thought she was making eyes at me. Well, she was mm-hmm. in in the sense that when we got up, she was like, "I love you. I'm such a big fan of your standup." I was like, "Bitch, I thought you were staring at me." <laughs> <laughs> okay, well let's let's get into the spoops. Okay, okay. all right. <clears throat> we never thought we'd be living in Georgia. My name is Krista, and I'm from Wisconsin originally, and spent some grad school years in eastern Washington. Shout out Spokane. <laughs> My husband, Drew, spent most of his life in California and Oregon before going through a Ph.D. program deep in Cajun country, Louisiana. We met while he was working toward a degree in writing and horror literature while I focused on theater and poetry. Somehow, we made it through that doctorate program relatively unscathed and got into the job market. The academic landscape was, and still is, a saturated affair, and after graduating and getting married in the spring of 2018, we spent a few months searching job boards, feeling disillusioned, and living in family friends' hurricane shelter in Florida. We were about to give up, go back to bartending, and try to ignore the fact that we had spent the last 10 years in college for nothing. But then the call came. Drew got an offer from an HBCU in Georgia. We packed up our lives and moved to a state we'd never spent more than a long layover in. Soon, I also got an offer from the same college. It was the dream. Two professorships at the same school. Yeah. Now, we just needed to live somewhere. And when they say it might be too good to be true, well, we would find out. The house was a pseudo split level on a corner lot. A big backyard for our two Labradors, Roxy and Echo, and enough renovations that could keep my husband busy. Oh, did I mention the pool? The asking price was crazy low, and somehow, or our even lower offer was accepted. This was our first home purchase, and in hindsight, there would have been plenty of questions we should have asked, but didn't. Though, being the creeper he is, Drew asked if anyone had died in the house. The house was being sold by the first and only owners. Well, the widow of the original owner. We would find out in the escrow process that everything was in the husband's name and there was a battle to make sure his widow had the right to even sell the house. That all worked out in the end, but again, we asked if anyone had died in the house. Our realtor assured us that Patrick had passed away peacefully in a nearby hospital and his widow had vacated the premise a few months before. We went for it and we moved in just a, just a few days after our first semester with big kid jobs. And all was quiet at first. We began updating the 1960s aesthetic in earnest, the following spring tearing out walls and refinishing floors. That was when I began feeling watched. Nothing specific, just a feeling. Like someone from an adjacent room was studying me, as if trying to figure out who I was. 
When I would turn around quick, as if to catch them, I'd find an empty room. Still, the unease lingered like we were somehow intruding. The basement of the house was obviously the previous owner's man cave. An old beer fridge, rusty tools, faded girly calendars. A pair of dressing rooms, but because of the bare light bulbs and weird locking mechanisms, they felt more like some sort of makeshift jail cell. And the space was smaller than the footprint of the house. So Drew decided to open up the walls, and while what we found wasn't exactly disturbing, it was unsettling. There was an ancient tiki furniture that had been modified as to accommodate children, as well as elementary school-sized desks. Nothing Mm. strange there, right? We would discover later, in the nearly 60 years that the couple lived in that house, they never had any children. That is so creepy. We drug it all out to the street and tried not to think about the connotations. Though soon after, I saw him for the first time. I was in the guest bathroom, which was midway down the hallway, which ran most of the length of the house. I had just gotten a pair of large tattoos on my legs, just above the kneecaps, and my attention was focused on awkwardly washing them when Drew walked by the doorway wearing a white t-shirt. I called out for him to give me a hand with the tattoo cleansing, but he didn't respond. His footsteps continued on down the hall, and I called after him again. Still, no response. Irritated, I called, What? Are you just ignoring me? Again, silence. I thought, no way is this happening. So I followed him, wet legs dripping onto the hardwood. I heard his footsteps in our bedroom. The door was closed, which felt strange because I hadn't heard him open it or close it, and we usually left it open for the dogs to roam around. I burst in and said, uh, are we not speaking right now? The room was empty, but I didn't feel alone. The attached bathroom door was open, and the darkness inside felt somehow deeper, and the sensation of being watched came flooding back. Someone or something was watching me from that thick darkness. I was squeezing the door handle hard enough to make my fingers ache, and when I let go, there was an audible click. It was like a starting pistol. Whatever was inside that bathroom was going to come out, but I didn't wait to find out. I hurried back down the hall, glanced out to the patio and to the backyard to look for my husband, and not seeing him, I just kept moving. When I got outside to the carport, the heaviness on my shoulders and chest subsided. I found Drew's legs sticking out from underneath his Jeep. Not waiting for him to slide out, I launched into an indecipherable string of panicked word-like sounds. Luckily, he got enough to know that I thought someone was in the house. He snatched up a heavy tool and ran inside. Of course, he returned a few minutes later, assuring me that my eyes were probably playing tricks on me. Every relationship has some balance of believer and skeptic, and ours is no different. I'm the paranormal truther, the one who feels the power of place and ethereal scars or crystals and tarot cards, whereas Drew is the sort of get a Ouija board tattooed on his stomach and giggle while saying Bloody Mary (laughs) the required amount of times in a bathroom mirror. I'm convinced these things will eventually come back to bite him in the ass, but here we are. And so his reaction was to rationalize what I had seen. I saw the doppelganger many times after this and often felt him in an adjoining room, watching me. I never felt alone in that house ever again. And this was confirmed a few weeks later. I woke up at about 3 a.m., which, of course, was already bad news. But everything seemed okay. Drew was snoring next to me, as were the two Labradors at the foot of the bed. Wait, I could only feel one dog. I slowly sat up and scanned the dark room. Echo was just beyond the foot of the bed, standing in the middle of the room, lit by the faint glow of a nearby streetlight. What you doing? I whispered to the Mm -hmm. dog. 
The dog didn't move. In fact, she seemed frozen in place. My eyes continued to adjust, and I could see Echo's normally floppy ears were upright, rigid. Her back was straight, unmoving, her tail tucked between her legs. My teeth vibrated. Again, I asked, Echo, what is it? The dog stayed still. Her eyes were locked on the open doorway of the bathroom. The beat of my heart was ramping up. The bathroom again seemed darker than usual. Was that a silhouette? Was something standing in the bathroom? In the stillness, I could feel my blood pumping in my ears. Echo, Echo, baby, are you okay? The dog didn't budge. The dog didn't budge, but I could hear the low, almost imperceptible throatiness of a growl building within Echo's ribcage. I didn't want to get out of bed, the safety of the covers, but my dog seemed to be bracing herself, ready to be attacked. But there was nothing there, just a dark room. No, not just a dark room, a very dark room, an impossibly dark room. I forced myself to be strong, to help her calm down. It's okay, girl, come here, nothing to be scared of. It's just the house settling. It took some serious effort, but I was able to get out of bed and start toward the bathroom. The darkness felt like it was drawing me in. As I moved closer, Echo finally broke and got in front of me, sitting down on my toes. The growl continued. She was protecting me, trying to keep me from going in there. And still, I had to turn on the bathroom light. I had to know. When I was close enough, I pictured my hand being swallowed, like plunging my fist into a thick motor oil, then being pulled out and submerged. But nothing was in there. My fingers danced over the drywall until I found the switch. The room was bathed in the soft glow of the Edison link Edison lights over the sink. No black hole, no ghost, no doppelganger husband. (laughs) The unease began to drain. I turned to reassure her, but Echo was no longer stationed outside the door. She was back on the bed with Drew and our other dog. All three were snoring. The doppelganger sightings happened more often, as did our dogs growling, sniffing, staring at nothing, and I never actually felt totally comfortable or safe in that house. We would eventually move after the first lockdown and a revelation of our lives, but not before discovering that our real estate agent had lied to us. Our neighbor told us just before moving out ourselves that the previous owner was a soft-spoken man, but who had the utmost pride in his home. He had built and maintained it for half a century. We learned that Patrick had died in the house. A painful, terminal, Mm. suffering sort of death. The sort that might leave some traces, right? Did us tearing apart his beloved home make him return from the afterlife? Besides the weird stuff we found in the basement, the previous owners hadn't left any personal items in the house. It was as if their lives had been scrubbed away. Yet, as if one last whisper, when we moved out, Drew was grabbing the few boxes we had stashed in the attic. He yelled out and I rushed down the hall thinking he'd fallen, but he was standing holding the folding ladder. He handed something to me and said, This was sitting right there at the top. I've been up here a hundred times and I've never seen this before. No way would I have missed this. In my hand, I held the ID card from the previous owner. Aged, faded, the card was from the 70s, but there was Patrick's smiling photo and we finally Mm. knew what our ghost looked like. The experience of the two years in that house became the basis for Drew's podcast, The Ghost Modernist. The first season blurs the line between fiction and fact with characters that share an uncanny resemblance to us. And being the ridiculous man that he is, Drew kept the ID in his wallet, and we forgot about it for a few years. Yet recently, we relocated to Costa Rica, and Drew set about taking out the Costco and Chevron and Albertsons membership cards because we wouldn't be using them in Central America. And what happened to Fallout? Patrick's ID card. We laughed, 
and toss it in a suitcase. About three weeks ago, we had to do a border run. As perpetual tourists, we had to leave the country every 90 days. We had a local Mm. friend, Carlos, dog sit for us while we were driven up to the Nicaraguan border. It was an exhausting day, nearly 14 hours, and we were more than happy to get back home. When we walked in the front door, both dogs and Carlos were curled up on the couch together, shaking. Every light in the house was on. He told us, in strained English, that not long after we left, he began hearing footsteps and then knocking, and always in sets of threes, always coming from upstairs. When he went to investigate, the sounds then came from downstairs. He found no one in the house, and all of the doors were locked. He and the dogs were glued together and onto the couch until we returned home, and once he told us about his experience, he promptly left. He hasn't visited again. And I am left asking myself, did we bring our Georgian ghost 3,000 miles Mm -hmm. south with us, or did we just happen to move into another haunted house? Ay, ay, ay. Great story. That's a great story. Great story. And that was- uh, Drew and Krista. Yeah, yeah, Drew, yeah. yeah, Drew's wife, Krista. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, collectively. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. I mean, she wrote she, it, she, but yeah, like they, gotcha, yeah, gotcha. but they, uh, you know, experienced it together, and you know, he weighed in on the details, etc. Yeah, the the doppelganger addition to it is so weird. Like, like the spirit of that guy, uh, Patrick. Patrick. Yeah, the guy who lived there for half a century. Um, and then, like, it's just weird. So it's like, is he showing up as the doppelganger? I mean, I, I know there's sometimes like a shadowy form. Yeah. But then that one time she saw, well, uh, you know, who she thought was Drew mm-hmm. walk past in the white T-shirt. Mm-hmm. And then there was said there was other doppelganger sightings. So is this guy, like, sometimes showing up looking like Drew? And, well, what I think is yeah. that I think that if Krista and Drew sent me a picture of the ID, I bet it looks very much like Drew. So Oh, I, just happens to look like. M- my perception of the story, and of course I could have clarified this with Drew, but I didn't want to like ruin this part of the show where we kind of, you yeah, know, yeah. dissect it and talk about mm-hmm. what we think. My guess is that Krista thought it was a doppelganger for so long until right. seeing the ID. And then it's like, oh, shit. It wasn't a doppelganger. It was Patrick it was all along. Patrick, yeah, because they gotcha, didn't okay. think that Patrick died in that house. Right, right, right. And then they found out at the end. And then, yes, that a prolonged, you know, painful death, some kind of disease, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. How, then, how fucked up of that realtor to not tell them the truth? Mm-hmm. That's so shady. I mean, I understand they have to make yeah. a living. They have to sell the house, blah, 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 blah. But there are plenty of people who have no problem moving into a house that's haunted. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cue my last story from last week. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like hoping to find a haunted yeah. house almost. Yeah. That person was like, I don't care. I also had a, a thought so scary from the story, just adding it to our lives. Mm-hmm. When she is what, something like in the bathroom uh-huh. and, and the one dog is like uh-huh. on high alert and uh-huh. the dog kind of just won't come, you know, like yeah, just yeah, kind yeah. of frozen there growling. Yeah. It made me think of you and I are laying in bed. I know. The dog sleep in our bed. And and they always sleep in our bed. Always. Well, occasionally will say, Gigi will get out and sleep on the floor. Occasionally, but if she does sleep on the floor, she always sleeps by the wall away from the door. Yeah, you know, she like always sleeps by like she's uh, by I, some of those pillows. Yeah, yeah, like our decorative pillows that mm-hmm. are on our bed that like mm-hmm. we stack up on the floor. <laughs> she like goes in there and kind of makes a it fort, lo- like a little burrow. Yeah, yeah, so cute. It is so cute. But and then I was just thinking uh, how terrifying it would be because it's so out of character for them. I know. If usually we shut our door. But not always, like when the kids have like uh, um, sleepovers or whatever. I don't know. When they, we think the dogs might be like kind of going about the house, mm-hmm. we'll leave the, the door cracked. Mm-hmm. And I was just picturing where, you know, it's well after sunset. We're laying there in bed. Uh-huh. All of a sudden, Penny is looking out into the hallway. I know. Growling and won't move. I know. Ooh, man. What do you do in that situation? Well, I have to tell you something. Yeah. 
so you were gone in Florida mm-hmm. and I was telling you like yeah, I had right a, after Nola, yeah. Uh-huh. I was telling you I was having a hard time sleeping. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Every night yeah. I would go to bed with the girls, I'd set the alarm. I mean, you know, I would have like a cocktail to like give sure. myself I'm like, okay, calm down, you're fine. I didn't want to drink a lot after Nola. I was so burnt out. So I was <laughs> yeah. pretty much going to bed mostly sober. Yeah. Like a yeah. like small cocktail, okay? Yeah. Just to be clear. Yeah. No weed gummies. Gotcha. I go in our room. Turn on the salt lamp uh, nightlight. Uh-huh. It gives off just just enough light that I can still fall asleep. Yep, and that salt Close. night lamp is right next to the door framed. Mm-hmm. Yep, to the door, yeah. Close the bedroom door, lock the door, get into bed. Every night, I would be just about to fall asleep, and Gigi would stare at the door and start barking for a solid minute. You know, at the door? Yep. And I'm like, Gigi, stop. I just, I would act annoyed. But it was very hard to just like... Do you hear anything from out there? I didn't hear anything, but she did it every... That was like, what, three or four nights that we were not together. Yeah. It was so weird. That's creepy. Sure is. I'm surprised you didn't uh, call me freaked out. I just, honestly, I was so fucking tired. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just like, shut up. And then I go to, like, I... And I didn't want to, like, if you don't acknowledge it, it's not there kind of yeah. thing. I just needed to get through it. But yeah. But bizarre that she doesn't do that when it's the two of us. Mm-hmm. Like, I wonder, like, could she be more on high alert because she's... I Protecting know, da- mom? Yeah, dad's not home or something. Who knows? I don't know what I they know. think that way. I don't know. The weather, like, it had, it did rain a bunch, you know, like, the weather's yeah. starting to shift. So in my mind, I was like, okay, it's probably just, like, she's hearing a truck drive by. She's hearing this. It is mm-hmm. that time of year where the deer are starting to come back. Like, I don't know. Yeah, but that is odd because she has not done that since uh, I, I got back home. Nope. And I was yeah, 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 yeah. trying to block it from my mind. And then the story was like, oh, my God, I forgot that happened. Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. So that's fun. Well, thanks, Krista, for that story and Drew. Yeah. So great. And great writing. Mm-hmm. Are you ready for Uno Mas? I am. Okay. Oh, man. Somebody's really screeching their yeah, tires speak, out there. Speaking of driving by. Sounds like, a, yeah, someone's having a drag race outside. Oh, man. Oh, man. Uh, okay. So... Uh, this story so uh, a, a different take on bringing something home with you. Uh, so, like for all the times like we travel and we go places, it's rare that we bring anything back for the kids because it's like they would have so much crap. Yeah, yeah we're yeah. gone every other weekend, and like you know, yeah, when they when, were littler, we would. I was just gonna, yeah, and I imagine because when by the time we got together, it was a, already a different phase of their lives. But when they were, when you and Heather were still married, I would yeah. imagine you were probably bringing back. What, like stuffed animals? Yeah, or? like a little toy. Like Kyler was really into Thomas the Train for a while. Cute. So you could get those, you know, most toy stores had that you go to Target or whatever and get like yeah. Henry or, you know, Percy. <gasps> Percy! <laughs> yeah, I loved Percy. So he was so I, cranky. So every trip I would bring back a new little train. Okay. And he had like train sets and then uh, Monroe would be, yeah, like, you know, bring back a little stuffed something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some little, some little toy to come back with. And I bet you never were worried that you might be bringing something else along with it. No, not with those, you know, not with like some like, random like, you know, doll from a store or something. Yeah. Right, right. Because you were buying something new. It wasn't yeah. like, you know, Never thrifted had that or, yeah. How terrible would it have been if you would have brought yeah. home some sort of like haunted doll or. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. What's going on behind me? I don't know. Just when you said doll, I just started looking at the dolls. Oh, okay. Well, let's see what you, what else you might be able to bring home. Okay. Okay. Hey guys, relatively new listener, but I love the show. Had it recommended to me on my podcast app and I can't thank the (laughs) algorithm enough. Awesome. It's fascinating to hear haunting stories from the States. As such a young country, it seems so odd. 
here in the UK, where any given building could be over 100 years old. My childhood home was raised in 1845. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you put aside the standard skepticism, more history would equal more ghosts. I've got a pretty cooked story from a few years ago. It's a bit long, so settle in. For a bit of context, 2018 was a very stressful year for us. My wife was seven months pregnant when we decided to buy a house. Both of us have well-paying jobs, one of us an auto and automotive engineer and the other one a midwife, and had been saving for about a year. With a hair under 55,000 pounds in the bank for a deposit, nice. it was a good time as any. Quite unexpectedly, I was called away with work to help solve a problem in a new factory in South China. The trip didn't get off to a good start. I was stranded in the Hong Kong airport for 16 hours as my ferry to Dongu... Oh, shoot, I was supposed to look up how to say this. Dongugen was canceled. Once I finally arrived on site, an estimated five-day stay stretched into three weeks. This huh. meant my heavily pregnant wife had to house hunt alone, and I had to stay up most of the night to view houses over Skype due mm. to the time difference. We found one for the right price and in the right area. It was a little rundown for my liking. No hot water from a broken boiler. No kitchen ceiling from a flooded bathroom. Dang. But my builder father-in-law told me it was a sound investment, and with four bedrooms more than enough was nor. And with four bedrooms, it was more than enough space for our little family. So me, halfway around the world, my wife bought the house. I returned home a further week later to a house that I'd never been in. The house is in worse shape than I thought, and my wife tells me it was on the market for some time after the previous owner died. I took two weeks annual leave, and with the help of friends and family, we made the house livable. Six days after downing my tools, my son was born. Mm. Fast forward five months. I had been back to China twice to make good in the factory. My son was now sleeping in his own room, watched over by several cuddly pandas I'd brought home for him. <laughs> My wife and I have a couple of odd brain quirks. My wife has an edict memory, and I've never had a dream which wasn't lucid. I've always had nearly complete control over my dreams. It sounds good, but to be honest, after nearly 30 years of it, the thrill wears off. One night, the baby monitor interrupts an aimless dream. I look over my wife's shoulder at the little screen on the bedside table. My son sat up in his cot, night vision green eyes looking to the left. My wife sighs and gets up to go see him. I watch the monitor, still laying in bed. The nursery is the next room to ours. My son and I only roughly eight feet apart and separated by one thin wall. What feels like 10 minutes later, my wife hasn't come into frame yet. My son hmm. is still watching something off screen. He's staring at something opposite the door to the nursery. And all of a sudden, I'm stuck. No matter how hard I try, I can't shout. I can't move. All I can do is lay on my front and watch the monitor. My son then slowly tracks something across the room, so he's looking just to the left of the camera. The screen crackles. The light dies. As just as sudden as it as just as sudden as it came, it ended. My wife enters the room to find me sweating bullets and scrambling off the bed to check on them both. In a whispered shout, I ask what the fuck just happened. She tells me to calm down. All that had happened was a panda had fallen off the shelf, dragging the camera with it and waking up my son. I check on the boy sleeping happily after mummy cuddles and return <laughs> the camera to the shelf. After checking that I had put the camera back correctly so my wife could see him, I spent the rest of the night sitting on the floor in the nursery, clutching the fallen stuffed panda. I was spooked. 
Next day, I tell all of this to my wife. She explains that what woke her up was the microphone amplified thuds of the camera and Panda hitting the floor, and then she looked, and the monitor screen only showed a close-up of the carpet. My wife has perfect recall. I put it down as the first and only nightmare of my 28 years. Apart from two things, my son wouldn't go near the panda that fell and suddenly wouldn't watch any cartoons or read any books that featured a ghost. From Scooby-Doo to Hey Dougie, anything with a ghost makes him burst into tears, even now, just after his second birthday. That panda, previously adored by him, was absolutely shunned, to the point where his first crawl was to move away from it. I did the only thing a sensible parent could do with that haunted bear. I gave it to my neighbor's Rottweiler, who promptly (laughs) ripped it to bits. Since that day, all was clear. No bad dreams, no sleep paralysis, our son seems more calm, and Greg the Roddy had no ill effects. In the coming years, with careful parents' eyes, we saw some development concerns with our son. He has since been diagnosed with hyperlexia, autism, and has inherited my wife's eidetic memory. One day, I got a bit of mischief in me, and as he played with his toys, and as he played with his toy solar system, one of his intense interests, I asked him, Sammy, do you remember a bad dream a long time ago with a teddy bear? He carefully placed his planets down for a minute. The bad panda man? He didn't like the dog. He left. He picked up Venus and carried on. Sleep well. Lots of love. (laughs) Darius. Darius. Yeah, thank you. Kids are so fucking creepy. Mm-hmm. The bad panda man. Do you get it? Do you, can you make the, all the connections? Yeah, yeah. That, that it was something with the with the panda that fell on the floor. I'm thinking. I'm thinking of the uh, the camera falling down the monitor. Yeah. And then it was had something to do with the panda. And do, do you think like like there was a shadowy man that was attached to the panda? Yeah, I think. I mean, I think that Darius was bringing home stuffed yeah, panda yeah. after stuffed panda after stuffed panda to his son from his trips from China. And one of them had something with it. Something had something attached to it. But I, what I think is so funny is like the bad panda man. Yeah. He didn't like the dog. They gave the panda to the to neighbor's the dog Rottweiler. That, that tore it apart. Yeah, I'm like. And Sammy was, what, six months old, nine months old this yeah. time? For that kid to have that kind of memory, I, 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 yeah, with his wife having like that like same kind of memory where it's mm-hmm. like a photographic memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Yeah, I wonder what he saw in his little little kid mind. In his little kid mind? What he saw in his fucking room? Right, 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 right. Like with oh, a little kid memory or whatever. Oh, just, yeah, yeah. You know, I was like, like how he didn't he make perceived? it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just so creepy to think like, Normally, we brush it off like when a kid says they've seen something creepy or mm-hmm. or we assume that what kids like I, I assume that like if my friend has a little baby, yeah, you know, and the, something happens in the house, let's just say, uh, you know, mommy burns the toast and sets off the smoke detectors. Yeah, I don't expect a baby of like six to nine months <laughs> right, old to or, ever remember that. Sure. Why Sammy remembers this is fucking terrifying. Yeah. To me. Yeah. And that the dad had a bad feeling about that and something went on there, went to the room and held the panda before he like, you know, he didn't there's something going on, like feels wrong with this thing. Mm-hmm. And then for the kid to remember it all those years later. Yeah. Yeah, it's spooky. I know. It's so unsettling. Mm-hmm. And I do appreciate- Sounds like it went away, though. Well, yes. And I do appreciate that Darius was like, and here you go, Rottweiler. That's a pretty maybe that's great the, solution. Maybe that's the ghost hack uh, for like like cursed objects or attached kind of things. It's like, whatever's giving you trouble, just let a dog just rip it to shreds. Oh, man. Maybe, what if that's the, the quick fix? Okay. You know, Penny and Gigi sometimes really love to tear apart their animals oh, yeah. and get to the squeaker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's how they've been protecting us all this time. <laughs> You know, we just didn't even know. 
Yeah, maybe there's some. Maybe that's why you see things sometimes in the house is because from Petco or whatever. Like we we bring home spirits. Yep, and Penny and Gigi just haven't done their jobs. <laughs> Whenever the, do- the dogs are tearing apart those little toys, I always think like you know we call their toys like their babies. It's like oh you got your baby, oh, yeah. and like Penny you look you look so cute with her little like stuffed animal. <laughs> Penny's never torn apart one of the ones that is she that we call her baby. Think about it. I, I guess she hasn't. Uh-uh. But I do think about that. I'm like, are they carrying these things around because they're their little babies? Or are they like practicing hunting? <laughs> Is this their kill for mm-hmm. the day? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes they want to tear those toys apart. I know. Ginger loves to get to the squeaker. Uh-huh. God, that dog loves a squeaker. Peanut butter and squeakers. <laughs> and, a, and a ball. Ginger always has a ball in her mouth. Like, uh, you know, we have little dogs, so mm-hmm. they don't have like, the, we try not to give them the really large like tennis balls. Yeah. But they have mini ones. And Gigi will just have one in her mouth like a binky. Yeah, she'll, yeah, yeah. She'll just be sitting there like this. Mm-hmm. Just, just hold it. Just a ball in her mouth. And when, she, and when she gets like wound up, if, if you're like, you know, there's a lot of people moving about the house or something's going on that gets her kind of like, you know, worked up, she'll just squeak, 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 squeak. Just like, yeah, chew it, chew it, chew it so fast. Yeah. It's like, it, yeah, it relaxes her or who knows. I love it when she's so tired, she falls asleep with it in her mouth. Mm-hmm, yep. Cracks up. <laughs> ah, all right. Well, good stories. Yeah, fun episode. Mm-hmm. A, a longer one. It was, it was oh, fun. yeah. I didn't even notice that it was A nice, longer. robust episode. Do you want to uh, do your Annabelle shout-outs first? Oh, sure, Dan. I would love to. Okay. I'd like to thank the following Annabelles for making our donations possible every month. David M., Paige Rocket, Heather Langus, Devin Wirtz, Kayla Wilson, Alex Stutz, Daniel Oz, Deborah Warren, Texas B., Alyssa Hebert, Nisa Horner, Rafael Nava, Shay Krez, K R Z with the little Oh yeah. E. Krez, Cruz, Kreza. What? Eastern European. Yeah, I never know. Sorry. How to, yeah. Megan Rasmussen, Huston Jeffley, Brandy Piro, Tamron Vladimir, Joe Pfeiffer, Jeremy Curry, Hillary Hottenstein, Dave Turin, Larry Collins. Captain Ghost, Jordan Burney, Ashley Myers, and Victor Ramirez. Is Hillary Hottenstein? Is it H O T? H O T T. H O T. She's so hot. There's two T's. I know. That's one of those last names where it's like I feel. I bet it's Hottenstein. Oh, Hottenstein. I bet. Yeah, I'm like you're gonna get some teasing. You know, like uh, whatever. If if it's hot, you know, Hottenstein. Good, Hillary. I hope you are so hot. (laughs) Because honestly, like just have it in your name that you got to live up to it. Mrs. Well, I guess she could have taken that name later on. Mrs. Hottenstein. Oh man, if that was your last name, you would have so many names. Mrs. Hot stuff. Mm -hmm. Mrs. Hottenstove. Mrs. (laughs) Put hot. Stuff in the stove. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, I just hear you like saying like nonsense for hours on end. <laughs> uh, I'd like to thank the following Annabelles for supporting us on Patreon. Jessica Jackson, Skeet, 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 Skeet. Uh, Trinity Tumadansky, uh, Amanda Valletta, uh, Sarah Arrive, and Amanda Valletta could be uh, Amanda Vietta as well, but uh, Twilla Grabiel, Brenda Gonzalez, The Book of Dahlia, uh, Vincent Centrone, Rebecca Reardon, Elise McLaren, Lizzie the Rue, uh, Aaron O'Laughlin, Tyler and Brianne Cook, John Brown, Matthew Nielsen, Gina Sear, C-Y-R, Sear, I'm guessing. C-Y-R, Sire? Sire. Sir? Sir. Uh, Dalton Smith, Alf's Funny Farm. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Faith Hawk. Faith Hawk. I know that's a serious name. You better be a superhero. Fucking badass. That's a fucking superhero name. I hope that she's jacked. It's Marvel. It's the Marvel universe. Faith Hawk. Faith, like, oh, you've got guns. 
Uh, Rochelle Jared, Dulce Almanza, Misa Luca, Esther, and Jessica Graff. Esther? It's uh, E-S-T-H-E-R. Yeah, oh, is that still Esther? Because I've seen it sometimes spelled E-S-T-E-R, no H. I've seen it both ways. Oh, okay. I assume that it's Esther. All right. I don't... Esther? Yeah, I don't know any Esthers, I guess. I, th- I think it's Esther. Esther. All right, Esther it is. Okay, Esther. Or whatever you want it to be. <laughs> uh, just a couple of spooky shout outs to Jayla from your mom, Tasha. Happy birthday. Can't wait to spend the spookiest month of the year celebrating you. To Olivia from Lane. Happy birthday. To Amy from Amy. Happy belated birthday. And to Hannah from your mom, Michelle. Happy 22nd birthday. You are a force. Aww. And that is our show. Thanks for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can email us for everything else, info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Yes. I made a mistake. Okay. Um, I printed out this episode, yeah. and then I got two oh, more no. emails, and I was able to squeeze two oh, more okay. two more shout-outs in. Let's get them in there. And number So I number them, yeah. and number three was to Amy from Amy, happy belated birthday. And then I literally rewrote that exact same thing. I must have been talking to somebody okay. instead of doing it. So I'm remembering... To Bailey from CC, happy birthday. Good memory. Yeah. I was like, something's not right here. All right. Well, they, you got it. You got it in. Sorry, Bailey. Sorry, CC. Well, they got even more love now. Huh. Uh, thanks to Logan, Keith, and Tyler C. for the work on social media. And Ryan Handelsman and his crew as well now going to be uh, working on Scared to Death social media. TikTok. TikTok. Thanks to Logan again for running BadMagicMerch.com and for producing and directing today. Zach Cohen, thank you for custom soundbed creation. Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails. Thanks to our book editor, Drew Atana, for polishing and preparing listener stories for book number four, one of which it seems like uh, will likely be the story that Drew and his wife Krista sent in. So thank you for that. Well, not likely. It will be. Oh, yeah. because it's, it's, it's not like we eliminate the show. them. Yeah. That's right. So it will be. Awesome. Uh, I found today's first story that I told um, thanks to producer Sophie Evans for finding the second. If you want to watch the show, in addition to listening, you can subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Scared to Death Podcast. Get accompanying pictures for each episode and more. If you don't want to hear Excuse ads, me. Can't they find us on TikTok now? Yeah, but we're just getting started. I know, but go find it. We have a adoring you know, you're right. fans. You're right. They understand that, like, we're just figuring it out. Dan and I are old, and we don't know how TikTok works, so we're just figuring it out. Yeah, Logan, what's uh, what's our TikTok handle for Scared to Death? It's uh, like all the other socials at Scared to Death Podcast. Perfect. Come on, y'all, give it a follow. Yeah, I'm on, I'm on there as well. If you want jokes, I, I, have, I have over three hundred thousand TikTok Enough followers now. Enough with the self promotion. <laughs> Dan Cummins comedy. Um, <laughs> But <laughs> but uh, and if you w- don't want to hear ads, if you want to check out two dozen and counting monthly bonus episodes, check out our Patreon, get the entire catalog ad free and more, and enjoy your nightmares, creeps and peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but hath no home here within scared to death. Welcome to the historic Hotel Monteleon. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter. Every day feels like Saturday, and French fries are a food group. Where flip-flops are always in fashion, and seafood is always in season. Where the boardwalk is bustling, and the beach is right outside your door. Where you can rise with the tide, 
and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent. Being there day and night. And building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy.